Aran Gaitel Shesto Firkin Fortuary of Galega or as an Uktronagas Ahasaram Hains and Mavan Kale Kerevan Shans Castle Yavarichagas Muid, a flayon tovet of Brent Le Cursi Fials and Ukta. May I join with Sabine in wishing all a very happy World Philosophy Day? You're most welcome, all of you, as I have just said to Oris and Uktron. And I know, uh, don't have to just wish, that the afternoon will be a very uh, fruitful afternoon for all of you as you set about mind work and supporting mind work. Uh, last year, Sabine and I had the pleasure of hosting uh, a, a reception, and we're delighted to do so again to mark World Philosophy Day. Uh, last year, I described the teaching of philosophy as one of, as indeed Sabina has, and had, he continues to emphasise, uh, as one of the most powerful tools we might have at our disposal uh, to enable our young citizens to become, uh, and to become in the fullest sense, and to act as free and responsible citizens in an increasingly complex and interconnected world. Very anxious when I use phrases like that, that they not be reduced to mere description. It is important to analyse the connections and the complexity. But I'm delighted that the event today uh, will be able to focus uh, on the launch of the Irish Young Philosopher Awards, aimed as they are encouraging primary and secondary school pupils to think creatively and humanely around the critical issues and challenges that face our society today. I want to say a particular welcome, therefore, to all of the young people and those who are assisting and helping them and teaching them and encouraging them. And these two banners have very important words. What makes a just society? What is friendship? The aspiration that motivates the awards is that they will help bring about a fundamental and profound change in how we understand the importance of philosophy and the role of education in our society and how the teaching of philosophy is important not only in itself but as a framework for other subjects as well. Next week I'll be speaking, giving the keynote address to Social Justice Ireland and I have actually been developing that point about where the absence of philosophy has consequences in relation to the thought that produces the policy models that impact on people's lives. It is my belief that an introduction philosophy uh, it, it really, I think, is something that would find a welcome, as you have heard, at all stages of the life cycle. I know today we're concentrating on its importance as on the curriculum for young people. But I really often think myself about uh, how valuable it would be as a, immediately to have enhanced extramural courses uh, on philosophy for active retirement, citizen action and other groups. People at certain stages of the life cycle suddenly want to say, I hadn't the opportunity of accessing that source of knowledge, but I want to do so now. I'm sure that practically everybody in this room is familiar with Josh Angarder's novel, Sophie's World, which explores the history of philosophy through the educational journey of a teenage girl, beginning with two enigmatic questions. Who are you? And where does the world come from? In that wonderfully imaginative work, Sophie comes to realise early on that philosophy was not something you can learn. But perhaps you can learn to think philosophically. This is 
a, a very valuable sentence, and it merits some consideration. Because we hear today much talk of a knowledge society, and of how we must educate our children to meet the needs of such a society. I often find buried in that an unasked question. Are we asking them to imitate, or are we asking them to create? and the distinction between mimetic and kinetic purpose. There have been many discussions, for example, around the importance of the STEM subjects, which are, of course, very important, and they're very based on influential disciplines that have a pivotal role to play as sources of information, processes, and indeed technical literacy, discussion on coding, for example, that are necessary to prepare us as citizens for the world of work. Yet in conditions of change, isn't it surely important to have the capacity to generate questions, uh, to listen to the suggestions as to how we might live together sustainably in an ethical way? After I'd finished writing my remarks, something else struck to me this morning as I was thinking about it, about the workplace when I had written that phrase, preparing people for work. And I began to think about an extraordinary similarity there is between the Fry's, Cadbury's, Guinness's notion of paternalism, of taking care of the worker and its every being, and how similar it is to Google, and how similar it is to others. And you can make your own decision. Is this meeting needs paternalistically, or is it a colonisation of the life world, in which you say to yourself, I'm such and such a person, I'm a Guinness worker, or uh, I'm a Google worker, or something. And there's a distance between that and being I'm a full, critical, empowered Irish citizen, understanding, seeking to understand change. But that's for another day, and it isn't without its controversies. <laughs> Recognising that creative thinking is a powerful and vital force in the creation of truly functioning societies is, of course, a constituent in the field of science itself. For both philosophical and scientific thinking rely at the heart on the principle that it is the asking of questions to which there is yet no definitive answer that defines the practice, sustains the wonderment, delivers findings, including serendipitous findings. And there has arisen sometimes a very false divide between what it, uh, uh, that is suggested between Krohyok, as we would say in Irish, creativity and science. A flawed view that there are two distinct entities, polar opposites almost. And there is a discussion currently in the literature on scientism, if you like, and scientistic pressure on those of us who are working in philosophy. That is why I'm so pleased that following the recent introduction of philosophy as a junior cert option to the national curriculum, the Irish Young Philosopher Awards have been devised to complement the very well-known Young Scientist of the Year competition, which is held in January of each year and which has been my privilege to attend. And to see the excitement of people mixing disciplines and doing things, that same openness, pluralism thinking, is what's now going to be there as the young philosophers say, in fact, meet the young scientists and realise that they're often both the same people. Across the European Union, as we read policy suggestions for the future, there's evidence of an impatient drive for what will prove to be 
I, I think, a, a misguidedly narrow utilitarian approach to education. Such short-term thinking is increasingly taking hold, and thus the initiation of these awards is an important milestone. It is an endorsement of the real value of allowing young people to have access to an education that will equip them to think critically and creatively on the problems, dilemmas and decisions that they and the society they will take a part in crafting will place in future years. The importance of such a question, what is friendship, which is in all the classical philosophers, and what is a just society? And I think we have in recent uh, decades come under pressure to reduce our education system to one which focuses on what is immediate, as I said, and utilitarian. But it isn't really utilitarian because it often has inbuilt obsolescence in it in relation to both the fact and the skill. It is, I think, something that is immediately applicable, which is damaging fundamental science. That which it is perceived will prepare our young people for the labour market at the cost of the development of life-enhancing skills such as imaginative and analytical thinking. This involves more than the capacity to reason. It involves being able to imagine and deal with contradictions uh, between what is, what ought to be, what is possible, what can be negotiated with respect. I think of McIntyre's fundamental distinction is that really marked discussions on moral purpose must involve the distinction between what man is and what man ought to be, as you have in the, in the classical sense. It is important that we not view our schools as places to educate our children solely as future workers, but not as future engaged and participative citizens. That would be a dangerous road, and we must, as educators, parents, members, uh, ask ourselves how we wish younger citizens to be educated and what should be the essential and optional elements of that education. And in that, philosoph philosophy is just so important. At the end of the 18th century, you might say, am I not stating the obvious? Well, I do want to say that when you look at the body of literature that's published, the, what is in fact in the, let us say, the newspapers of today and the newspapers of the sec at the end of the 18th century, there is, in fact, a gap. There's more than a gap. There's often a deep anti-intellectualism that is very damaging. At the end of the 18th century, we had a discourse that posed questions such as the Kantian questions. What can we know? What do we not understand? What can we change? Why can we not have that discourse now? Why are we not having that discourse now? Why is there so much intolerance to such a discourse now? We should be considering the question that if in the late 18th century the oppressions, for example, of empire and imperialism could be confronted, the case for freedom and independence made and debated, why then do we define now freedom so narrowly and for a very, very large part of the literature as freedom of the market? Worse than that, have we not, as I, as I have called before, something that really bothers me entirely, are we losing the necessary courtesies of and for a pluralist discourse? While advances in the technology of communication, for example, have brought a welcome access to information, a distorted version 
of freedom has led to what is perceived to be a licence to use not just fake news to distort discourse, but to use the anonymity of sources transmitting messages, messages that can destroy without requiring the authors of such to take any responsibility for the consequences of what they inflict on others. And regularly it occurs to me, Vassal of Havel's words, words can free, words can kill. Would it be possible for concerned citizens, I say to you as a matter of urgency, such as yourselves, to produce a short guide for our children and our schools on the principles of fair argument, respect for difference, the principles allowing the space for opposing views? And it is a conversation we need to hold now. So that as we reflect, that people attracted by the anonymity of hurling abuse without consequence in a destructive way. And at the same time to say, as we debate many different things from different perspectives, we need to offer these tools now so that we don't, in fact, have more of this destructive behaviour. Do If we do want to inspire our students to become engaged citizens, unafraid to ask the st- to question the, the status quo of the time, to look beyond the barriers of perceived wisdom, to resist easy and dangerous groupthink, which is responsible for so many of the injustices of our society. In every generation, until the end of time, are we to ask the question, what makes a just society, without seeking to pursue it? Do we not wish our young citizens to grow up to be citizens who place humanity and solidarity at the heart of what they do? Or alternatively, are we willing to settle? Settle for them to be citizens who simply seek survival in a society-economy relationship that's poorly understood and for which we have lost the capacity to critically evaluate. If we wish for the former... We must ensure that our children learn to think and question from a very young age, rejecting the easy option of going with the flow. They must not be afraid to be the person who asks the difficult questions, the person who changes the tenor of a discussion when things are going wrong, while valuing the capacity to listen to alternative opinions. This phrase I repeat again, the necessary courtesies of pluralist discourse, which they will not see given practice in too many of adult forums. From so much of our public discourse and behaviour, it is not clear that we have helped to create, uh, that we haven't put, perhaps we have created a a subculture of polemical abuse, aggression and anger that serves to block access to truth, wisdom or compassion, nor to speak of being an obstacle to our achieving justice. And this is becoming accepted as, and it is not unrelated, again it's for another day, to the extreme definitions of individualism that are in fact prevalent. And there are challenges for philosophers in that. We are a republic, and surely at the heart of republicanism lies the principle of participatory citizenship and the right of all citizens to be represented and to have their voice heard. Indeed, dissenting and voices are essential to any ethical and functioning society. But we have seen in recent years how the constant reinforcement of an unquestioned culture of inevitability by like-minded people, often in hierarchical and patriarchal settings, are presented as as inevitable, unknowable forces of economy and society. 
you wouldn't understand all of that. It's very complicated. Of the prevalent view as to performance, in many cases too, is there a critique as to say performance uh, and that, it, that is offered as essential for career advancement? That lovely phrase too often heard, keeping your head down on the moral issues. It badly impairs the performance of individuals and institutions, including institutions and places where we have lodged our trust. So regaining, earning and restoring trust is one of the greatest challenges of our time. We've been let down by some of the most privileged professional organisations of our time. Professional safeguards have meant nothing and notions of voluntary self-regulation have lost credibility with publics right across the world and in too many instances across the world to use a phrase like corporate ethics is to be accused of using an oxymoron. <laughs> there can be no doubt that a major con con cause of our recent economic crisis was built on this very notion of accepting inevitabilities without analysis, failures to question, to scrutinise, to challenge the highly individualised projects of accumulation and self-centred ideals of, over of consumption, which over time have come to be substituted for models of public welfare, shared in the public space, enjoyed in the public world. We all think of those moments when suddenly we're all together without difference, out in the public space, enjoying something beyond ourselves. That is what we lost, and our loss of authenticity brought with it a terrible alienation, and an alienation that was described by the late last, who died only last year, Sigmund Bormann, who put it as being consumed in our consumption. It has been easy to confront those holding or seeking uh, public office when there's an anger that flows from all of that. The easiest target are those seeking public office. But what has to be realised is that the complicity among our publics with what came to be painful for so many was not confronted, nor was it possible to challenge the assumptions upon which it was based. Scapegoating will not absolve us from the complicity of silence, what Pope Francis indeed calls the drift, the plague of indifference. It was a global financial crisis that threw a spotlight on the domination across Europe of the consequences of the missing moral dimension, from, for example, from the discipline of economics, dictated as it was through all that period by a single theoretical model, hardly meeting the requirements of theoretical philosophically, a single method, the urgent need to revisit the relationship between economic and social policy is necessary in a very fundamental way. I'll speak of that next week to the social, <coughs> the social Justice Ireland. But the neoliberal position in economic theory, I mention this because you've heard me here from DCU when I launched my ethics initiative in DCU. And I made a, a, a history, I thought, of what had happened in the teaching of economics. But to question the, the, the use of the word neoliberal brought, a top, brought abuse from a very definite quarter. And some of those who did so simply said, this is just a, left, a term of abuse used by left-wing theorists. In the journals you'll see, neoliberalism is described as the ideology that dare not to, to state its name. 
And if it isn't, I have believed that people are entitled to hold such views. But they really must be open to allow others to debate in a pluralistic way. And I gave it, I give it as an example. I give it as an example of the polemical abuse that stood as an alternative to scholarship. And it is up to the public to decide if that is what they want. We may take some hope, I think, from the fact that within that area I mentioned, economics, fiscal studies, some institutions, the International Monetary Fund, have begun to question what were once sacrosanct policy positions and the assumptions which underlay them. They are listening, perhaps in a thin way, to the public. Scholars and policymakers are now beginning to recognise that the discipline of economics is not diminished by encompassing the concerns of sociology, history and of culture, but is in fact made stronger. They make their way out of the morass by speaking, for example, about behavioural economics. But we need philosophy and we need discussions on what is moral. It can be made stronger still, as I said, by the application of philosophy to interrogate the foundational assumptions of a discipline that so often in our own times goes unquestioned. And surely it is necessary to seek to know and to understand the ontology and epistemology which underpin the economic models and methodologies which have been so influential over the past 30 years and which have had such an impact. How can the silence from the academy then be explained, I sometimes ask myself. Perhaps it is telling me, revealing a disconnect between sections of what is structured to what is in fact actually set up after all to be an academic community. I found in my discussion on, on ethics, for example, that some parts of the university never met other parts of the university. And therefore, that the interdisciplinary moral reflection I was looking for would be quite difficult. Where, but we made great gains. It was worth the effort, and the effort continues. Where philosophy is neglected, I'm saying just to come to the end, it is not only philosophy as a subject itself that is, suffers. It is the many subjects that are deprived approaches that are, in fact, full in relation to science and technology, not only in their internal dynamics, but in their social setting. So the challenges of the next decade simply cannot be met with the old orthodoxies. We need mind work. Social cohesion is fracturing, fading, as inequalities in wealth, power and income are deepening. And they will not be met, with the greatest respect to President Macron and others, by rhetorical flourishes on the model that is fading, or the paradigm that is insufficient. Within the European Union, cohesion between the member states has declined. Connection with the European street is fragile, as we've allowed ourselves to become divided by a common one-size-fits-all, as I've said, inadequate macroeconomic policy framework which pits creditor against debtor, and those with trade surpluses against those with deficits, against the North, against the South, against Northern European economies versus Mediterranean economies. How is that language? Not, how could that be the language of a union that is carrying the project of cohesion? So if we are to meet the challenges we now face, and why it's so important that we celebrate World Philosophy Day in a positive sense, we require a real change in consciousness, reform in institutional thinking, 
a time when the masses of citizens are deemed to be economically too... People actually feel free to say that the mass of the citizens could never understand complex fiscal matters. I suggest alternatively that what we need is a new form, contemporary form of literacy. I would suggest that in this century and in the decades to come, fiscal and economic literacy may be as important to cohesion, citizenship and democracy as mass literacy was in the previous centuries in relation to universal suffrage and the parliamentary option, and indeed for discussions on the sovereignty of the people. Often, after all the speeches and the rest of it, I sometimes say, is what challenges us really not that which is unaccountable? You can make people in Parliament accountable, but can you make corporations internationally accountable? And why should you not? And should you not discuss it? It is critical that we allow our young citizens to be educated as engaged, informed, participative citizens, respectful of difference, Informed, as I said, I don't mind repeating it, of the necessary courtesies of discourse, equipped with the skills to question and challenge decisions made by individuals or institutions in positions of power and authority. Rightly feeling that it is their right to ask that such decisions are ethical and based on the common good. And if we as a society are to achieve a truly ethical and active citizenship, and I did not initiate that project for rhetoric, it is vital that we acknowledge the need for an education of character and desires, as well as reason and accept it at every level. The need to encourage and support critical reflection and a more holistic approach to knowledge. As the most vicious and abusive confrontations, for example, of the Western world, so-called, and Islam are offered to members of our public, how often do you see references to the Islamic saving of the Greek world for Europe in different times? And yet this is essential, that we in fact take advantage of knowledge, and that we take advantage of the opportunities of accessing knowledge. And Today we're celebrating a great new initiative of offering it to young people. We should offer it to all, to all of our, our, our people. There can be no doubt, I'm finishing to say, that the teaching philosophy in our schools can facilitate the fostering of a real ethical consciousness in our young people, one that is open and pluralist and generous, a consciousness that will enable them to think more critically and to challenge the inevitability of that which is too often presented as given, unchangeable and injurious and insufficient, that will enable them, in the words of Josh John Garther, to think philosophically. So, I'm so deeply grateful, therefore, to all of you who are working with such commitment and to encourage the teaching of philosophy in our schools. I would also like to thank all those involved in the development of the Irish Young Philosophers Awards that we're celebrating today. And I'm aware that this initiative forms part of a collaborative project dedicated to fostering the teaching of philosophy in schools that has been developed by Dr. Charlotte Bleese, Dr. Ronnie Mahan and Dr. Daniel Petherbridge. I understand that the idea for the Young Philosophers Awards was created by Dr. Petherbridge and developed with Dr. Mahan and Elizabeth O'Brien.
and I've also been told that much valuable feedback and advice was received from teachers and students. And you're all so welcome here today, particularly from Susan Andrews and such as Elizabeth O'Brien, their students from Temple Carey School and Greystones, from Our Lady School in Ternure, and all the other schools that were here today. And I very, very much look forward to hearing about your experiences and views. And you know the last word, I would say, this isn't heavy stuff at all. When I use the word said, this is emancipatory thinking and action, it's actually full of joy. And I go back, I have begun finding myself going back and again and again to the later cant. And then I actually combine that sometimes uh, with Leonard Cohn's phrase. And you know what it is about, about it is, ring the bells that still can ring. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And ye are letting the light in. And for that I'm so grateful and I wish you were.